Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles, now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Freaking first cut. Golly! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick McDonald, for the third round recap of the AT&T Byron Nelson, and I'm bringing in the man himself, boots on the ground, the South African stallion, Mark Immelman. How are we doing? Stallion, stallion there were a bunch of longhorns out here. Um, no, it's all good. We had a really good day. Dodged the weather. In fact, I'm looking outside my hotel right now at the Omni Frisco, and there's a pool down there and a pool bar and a beautiful blue sky day. I'm like, you know, it's, it's just what you want out here in Dallas, Texas right now. It sounds like you, Mark, you find all the hotels with the best bars, you know, the rooftop in Mexico, you got the pool bar in Texas. I mean, you're living the high life. I live a charmed life, you know, and I get to talk about golf for a living. I mean, God bless America. Yeah, cannot beat that. And the boys were moving and we'll kick it off with some of the early movers in the third round there at TPC Sawgrass and the guy or at TPC Craig Ranch. And the guy who really got it going early was Patton Kazire, the general shooting a seven under. 64 there, led the field in strokes gained tee to green, second off the tee, seventh in approach. And when you think about Pat and Kazire, big hitter, really strong with the irons, capable with the putter, and he really got it going there today. Yeah, it's it's sort of more of the same really at this event because every year you come here and you see the early wave of players, they get out with fresh greens, lighter breezes and stuff. The golf course was certainly a little bit more receptive this morning, so you felt like there was a bit of an advantage for the early players. And then, of course, the guys close to the lead while well, you're playing with that uh, the leaderboard gravity stuff going on. So so for Patton, he's sort of been trending. I, I talked with him a few events ago, and you know, I used to teach him when he was back in college at Auburn. So uh, I know of the young player he was. So I always stop and check in and see how he was doing. And he seemed like he was gaining in stature and some confidence in his game. And and he'd gotten the fade shot back off the tee. And if he puts the ball in play off the tee, then he can really make some hay because I feel like his short game is normally very, very sound. So, you know, you get some softer conditions, you get lighter breezes. Any one of these guys can take it deep if you get something going on. And uh, we saw it today out of pattern, and you're likely to see more of the same tomorrow. Yep. Clean card, seven birdies. Didn't take advantage of either of the short par fours there on the front nine and the back nine. But Kazire, a proven winner on the PGA Tour. He finished third here uh, when the AT&T Byron Nelson was first moved here a couple years ago. So clearly has a nice comfort level around this place. Plays well in the wind as well. Uh, and like you said, kind of trending in the right direction. But someone else who's been trending for quite some, some time, playing like a top 10 player in the world at the moment, one of the favorites coming in, was Sir T-Rell Hatton. And he had it going today, despite what he may say. I know you guys had him on the broadcast. He didn't seem too overjoyed about his round today. But what did you see out of Hatton there uh, in Texas? 
I'm not surprised. The guy's so accurate. I mean, he's one of – I don't think if you have a ball-striking conversation, Patrick, and people like throw out names of great strikers, the Tyrrell Hatton will be in there unless you're really in the weeds on the PGA Tour. But he is that guy. I mean, he's super accurate. Um, he's a wonderful putter. In fact, I don't think there's many weaknesses in his game. And, and you don't win at Bay Hill at the King's Place unless you complete. And he's proven he can do that. He – contended at the players championship or they contended scotty won by a pretty good margin but but tyrrell was part of the story there too so he's a big game hunter and and i'm not surprised that every time he plays he isn't in contention last week um in fact he was a part of the storyline some too i i remember calling him last week maybe saturday or sunday when he was playing alongside adam scott so he's always there and thereabouts he's he's legitimate he's got all the tools his manner is fascinating and, and hilarious but but beneath all of that stuff, there's a, a golfer with a really high golf IQ. And I say that because it's a key in golf for me to be able to kind of figure out when stuff is not going right. And he has that uncanny skill where you can't teach that stuff. We sort of understands who he is. He understands when he can attack and when he has to defend. And today he showed some of that because, like you said, he admitted that he didn't think he was going to really shoot very well today because his game was up to maggots but in the end he shoots 65 and is now part of the storyline for tomorrow yeah he, he was a bit flabbergasted that he was somehow bogey free uh made a, a couple of nice par saves early in his round to keep the momentum going but if you look last three months he's ninth in the world in total strokes gained he's like playing like a top 10 player in the world like i said and you said big game hunter top five finishes at bay hill sawgrass and quail hollow those are all major championship type tests we obviously have a big one next week at the PGA Championship. He's 13 under, three off the lead at the moment. So while, you know, he definitely has a chance to win tomorrow, if not, he'll surely be high on many people's list uh, next week there at Oak Hill. And the way he's trending and playing, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Hatton is in the mix in Rochester. And a name that kind of snuck up on us, uh, at least for me, I, I was looking at his stats today, and he's actually playing some pretty good golf, is Vincent Norman. The Swede, the big hit in Swede, five birdies from number five to 11. And I was looking back at his stats. He has four top 21 finishes in his last six starts, kind of quietly playing some very good golf. Uh, what did uh, what do you think of Norman's performance thus far with that bogey-free 65 on Saturday? Yeah. Uh, first, I'm going to test you as our resident, one of our two resident CBS editorial sports guys. Um, oh where did Vincent Norman go to college? And don't tell me Florida State. Vincent Norman went to college. That'd be Wikipediaing now or Googling or whatever. Uh, the University of Sweden. Wrong. He went to Georgia, he went to Georgia Southwestern University in Americus, Georgia. Ooh. I know this because for a long time I was a Division II golf coach. And okay. Georgia Southwestern, uh, just down the road from where I was in Columbus, Georgia, at Columbus State University. And when he came over there as a freshman, I watched his kid hit and I was like, Holy smoke. Now, I'm going to preface this by saying I used to teach golf out there in Europe, and I've been on the PGA Tour. And it's not often you see a freshman in a Division II level to sort of blow your hair back. And I looked at this kid, and I was like, this, is this for real? And he just got better and better and better. And then uh, he won prolifically. He was a player of the year, All-American, all sorts of, sort of thing. And then COVID rolled around, and so they got an extra year. And he went into the transfer portal. 
And when I was the Arnold Palmer International Team captain, my assistant was Robert Duck from uh, Florida State. And Ducky calls me up the one day and he goes, there's this kid, Vincent Norman. Do you know anything about him? And I was like, Robert, sign him immediately. And he went to Florida State and John Puck was the number one player right then. And in that final year, his fifth year, the statistics will tell you that he was better than John Puck. And now, and, and John Puck came onto the PGA Tour with much fanfare. And look who's surviving between the two of them. This boy is good and he can go. And, uh, and he's, I wouldn't say he's fearless, but he's very measured. Um, he is just a really, really sound player. And I'm not surprised he's playing well. I actually believe he should play better. So, so watch this space because I feel like this, once he gets some, some run time under his belt, he's rookie season on the tour right now, when he gets comfortable, like he did when he went through college, coming from a freshman with talent to a dominant player, I feel like, I don't know if he'll be dominant, but he certainly has the skill set and the tools to be able to do so. So don't color me surprised whatsoever. This guy is good. Okay, we'll, we'll give producer Josh a little slap on the wrist. He had Florida State in the outline. I knew that I knew you guys might have been in cahoots trying to throw me for a loop or whatever it may be behind my back. Uh, but Paul in the chat said Vincent Norman doesn't even have a Wikipedia page yet. That could easily change tomorrow That's if he amazing. somehow finds a way to win. Mm -hmm. uh, someone who I know their alma mater, Austin Ekro, Oklahoma State Cowboy, it's pretty much in Pretty Ready. much in Texas at this point, you know, like they're all the same. Yeah. Um, what around 10 birdies in his 18 holes a day fires a eight under 63, just that one blemish, the double bogey there on the par three seventh. And if you look at Austin Eckroth's season thus far, 12 starts, eight missed cuts, 137th in the FedEx Cup points. He is entering the final round in a share of the lead. His best start so far this year, T12 at the Sony, fifth in Corrales. And there might have been some signs. He actually ranked 21st in strokes game T to green last week at Wells Fargo in the designated event. So, you know, with some of the big boys on tour, was able to acquit himself nicely and really just flawless. He said on number seven, it was really a heat check moment for him. Uh, clearly, brick didn't work out for him, makes the double bogey there. But outside that, uh, what around from uh, Austin Acro? Yeah, um, I don't know if you were in the thread. I'm sure you might have been, but over Torrey Pines this week, um, you know, Kyle, as soon as there's a, an Oklahoma State player in, in the mix, um, he gets all giddy-eyed and, and he starts spouting all sorts of isms. So I went and watched Austin play a little bit and I took some video of his golf swing. And it's kind of idiosyncratic, I would say. And uh, so I took a swing and I slowed it down and I took a screenshot of him at contact. And I sent it to the group. I'm like, name this player crickets in fact i still haven't heard anything now uh i'm, I'm gonna go regurgitate that thing some and send it back to you guys so you can have a look because he's a good player he's a heck of a player plays at oklahoma state uh, but he's kind of got a swing of his own and when he was there he played under some guys that were you know a bit better than him but he was still very good and he's found his groove to me a little bit um because playing on the pga tour is different and coming out here with a glittering amateur resume doesn't get you anything, really. It might get you some starts, but then you've got to earn your way because it's meritocratic out here. So um, he's obviously a good player. It's nice to see him play well today. I'd love to see him follow up that 63 tomorrow when he's right in the mix. I believe he's going to be in the final group, right? And, and, and that's where that pressure spigot is just ratcheted wide open. 
and stuff feels different. Your body feels different. Um, the ball goes different. The hole looks smaller. You know, it, it's kind of weird. Ball goes farther at times because of adrenaline. So I'm keen to see how he parlays what he's got going on into a good day tomorrow. Because if he does, then uh, this could sort of be the starting off point for, for Austin Eckert in a big year. Yeah, potentially a very life-changing day tomorrow for Austin Eckert. The last group, it is him alongside Marty Doe, a deer, a female deer, and <laughs> and, Tex, and Texan Ryan Palmer. It feels like they kind of they avoided the elephant in the room. That is Scotty Scheffler. You would much rather have this comfy pairing with Scheffler out in front of you than having to face the world number two, arguably the hottest player in the world, uh, right next to you as well. So, like I said, he's alongside Marty Doa Deer, a female deer, who also struggling so far this year. Ten starts, zero top 40 finishes on the PGA Tour, six missed cuts, but he does play out, out of TPC Craig Ranch. It's crazy what a home game can do for these guys. And he's a proven winner three times on the Corn Ferry Tour. So, I like his chances. You know, he did say to CBS Sports after the round that he's already feeling the nerves. He's already mm-hmm. nervous. I kind of like the honesty. He had a great finish there at the end with four birdies in his last six holes, rattled off five straight threes there on the back nine. And so what do you what do you think of his staying power uh, potentially tomorrow? Well, two observations. First, everyone's going to be nervous tomorrow. He's in a final group there with, with Austin, who hasn't won. He's going to be nervous too. Um then Ryan Palmer is in there too. I think Ryan Palmer is the third in the final group, right? Um, you know, he hasn't won in a while. He'll be a little nervous. Um, even Scotty Scheffler will be a little nervous, and he's a few he's a few group, groups back. So you don't go through their immune. So maybe identifying the fact and, and speaking to it. Don't speak it to power, but just speak it to say, look, I'm feeling this, and I'm ready for it. And um, then my second observation is that if you're a gambler or you do one and done and stuff, that horses for courses thing or course knowledge or course comfortability or, or that sort of thing, it's real. And when you get to a place, though, even though it's a home game and that brings its own pressure, um, when you can fly around a place where you know you've shot low before, then that lends itself some. And when you know that you've had good shots in certain holes with tough tee shots, and when you know you've pulled off um, you know, good up and downs from difficult places, it brings an element of comfort to it. And that comfort, even though it might be slight tomorrow, is probably a little edge on the folks that are in the same uncomfortable position that you are, and they are nervous. So, I mean, it's a great story. I would love to see him, him pull it off. It would be a wonderful story. Um, but it's going to be hard, a hard job and a tough slog tomorrow. But look, I mean, all power to him. He's close to the lead. All you've got to do is go and shoot something under par tomorrow. Now, I know I'm making it sound trite. But it's the truth. And if he can keep it just down to the dollars and the sense of it as much as he can, then I think he'll be all right. So, but again, I, I'm a firm believer in regression, not regression to the mean, but, but I'm a firm believer in one stroke average. And throughout my college career as a coach, you would all see a, always see a player play back to their stroke average. So if your stroke average was 70 and you went out and shot 64, I was sort of expecting you to come back at me with 74 or something to get back closer to your stroke average. Now, I'm not wishing that on Marty Doe because these are PGA Tour players. But after 64, there might be a little evening off. He's just got to hope that that evening off turns into 67 or something. And that may be enough for him to notch his first win. It's, it's always difficult to back up a great round with a good one. 
I believe uh, the wise Mark Immelman once said that. You can take that quote. Uh, but he entered the week 164th in the FedEx Cup points. You think about the kind of Titan playoff system that we have going this year. A win tomorrow, like Eckroat, extremely life-changing for him. But even just a high finish uh, would, would go a long way for Marty Doe, a deer, female deer. But <laughs> nipping at these guys' heels, we'll get to Ryan Palmer, who's also in that final threesome at 16 under. But the chasing pack is stout, and it begins with the Aussie, former Byron Nelson winner, Jason Day. He's coming off a miscut there at the Wells Fargo Championship, which I didn't find all too surprising. He took a long break after the Masters and clearly showed some rust, but that rust appears to be off. Very nice round of five under 66 today out there at TPC. Craig Ranch, a past winner, has played well in Texas throughout his career, has played great this entire calendar year, like Hatton, like a top 10 player, that type of quality. Jason Day, do you think he gets the job done? First win since 2018, around five years from now. You think he can do it? Uh, remind me how far back he is, please. Jason Day's at 14, two back. Um, look, it's on. Um, I still think that Jason Day has a. If he was a meal right now, I would say he's just got to simmer for a little while longer. I mean, it's looking great. It's smell. You know, when you go in the kitchen and you can smell the meal, right? Cool. It's every, everyone around knows. I mean, Jason Day is simmering. He's looking great. He's smelling great. You know, the test is there, but it just needs a little bit more time in the oven, just a little longer. And I feel like, you know, after being in contention tomorrow. Maybe pulling it off. Who knows? I feel like he's just putting things in place. You know, he's done the physical work of it. He's got the understanding of the golf swing. I've talked to him at length about it. He knows where he's going. He knows how to fix himself. He knows where the bad shot is. He knows what the feels are. Um, I think he's got another chance tomorrow to test this, test the feels under pressure. And then next week, there is a tournament that he has won before. And uh, everyone's kind of going to Oak Hill new. I know we've been there before, but the place has been not redesigned, but reworked in a big way. Like Dottie Pepper, who lives up there, says to me, she goes, you'll hardly recognize the place in spots. So it's not like there'll be like, you know, an advantage to somebody going there. So it's sort of open season. And maybe that might be where Jason Day sort of, you know, buttons the buttons the loop a little bit and, and gets one done. But right now it's all going. Greg and I talked about it last night. Even though he had the bad day yesterday, I'm like, if he's a stock, I'm buying, and I'm buying in a big way. And and I feel like a win comes. And when that win comes, because he's got the confidence in himself, it'll be Jason Day that we've seen before. Because he's stated his intention. You know, like Marty Doe speaks about the nerves. Jason has said to all and sundry, including me, to my face, he goes, I'm aiming to be back at world's number one. And you've got to be pretty convinced in yourself to make to, to speak out a goal like that. You know, it's one thing to think it. It's another thing to tell that to people, and he's told that to people. So I'm a believer, and I love where his game is going. What uh, what does Jason Day smell like? What type of meal are you like a like a meat pie, fish and chips? Yeah. Think about it. yeah, think about it. Yeah, when you go in like a a nice sort of stew, like a beef stroganoff or something, or, or you know Ooh. when they when they caramelize onions in something. Yeah, that's what it's, it's smelling good right now. Stop it, Mark. Stop it. Behave yourself, please. You go in a bakery. Because, you know, bread is the fruit of life, right? You know, freshly baked bread? There you go. Okay, fresh bread. Jason Day, the bread man. Calm yourself. All right, we'll clipped on social well, media right now. 
we'll get to the rest of the chasing pack but first a word from our sponsor another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back, and we're going to kick things off with the man himself, C. Woo Kim, alongside Jason Day there at that 14-under number. Despite the fireworks that the South Korean typically displays on the golf course, a rather mundane day for him. Three birdies, 15 pars, doesn't take advantage of a couple par fives there on the front nine, but still very much in with the chance to grab his second victory of the season would join Tony Finau, Max Oma, Scotty Scheffler, and John Rahm as multiple time winners on the PGA tour this season. Mark, you gotta love his chances going into tomorrow. Yeah, I do. We talked about him last night and I think I called him and I called McKenzie use wild cards. Um, but Steve Wu is a lightning rod and he's got an old school game and he's not afraid of anybody. I mean, this guy doesn't back down. Um, I think I shared the story of me calling him some playing Justin Thomas in the President's Cup, and he was fist bumping in JT's face. And you know, JT is one to get up in your face some. And see, we would turn around when he'd bury a, bury a putt and kind of bow to the crowds and tell them to shush and stuff. So he's he's up for it, and I love the way he plays. And and that finish of his, you know, because the final stretch of holes was playing into a kind of a, a gusty variable sort of a breeze to finish three three four three four. That was stout. That kept him relevant. So uh, I feel like he's probably feeling pretty solid about himself right now. And then all of his success on the tour. Now, all is a big word, so I'm going to modify that. A lot of his success on tour has been on, on golf courses with this type of grass. He's won the Wyndham Championship at Sedgefield. It's all Bermuda throughout. He's won the PGA Championship where you've got those champion Bermuda greens. And you've got some Bermuda rough here and you've got the bent grass green. So it seems to me like there's a style of golf course he really thrives on, and it's this style of a golf course. So maybe he can – he's going to need something really good tomorrow, but maybe he can pull it off. He will. He'll probably need to take advantage of those par fives, a few more birdies, but we know Sibu Kim's capable. Sony first hole chip in there at the Sony Open to clip Hayden Buckley uh, earlier in January. Loves the heat of the moment, like Mark said, when he was shushing JT, telling the – Telling those stuck-up Americans at Quail Hollow to shut up. You got to love it from Cebu Kim. And he he is someone who I personally have my eye on tomorrow with a little investment, I must say. Oh, all right. But we will get to the group that you follow today, the final group, the final threesome. And it was a little slow from the start. And a couple – players somewhat recovered but one who did not was Mackenzie Hughes uh ended up shooting a two over 73 
really got, you know, three early bogeys, battled back nicely around the turn, and then kind of got loose, had a two-way miss going, just really couldn't find his swing, didn't look comfortable out there much of the day. Uh, describe McKenzie's round today, you know, as someone who saw it firsthand. I would say it was surprising because it wasn't emblematic of the McKenzie use I know, who's typically very reliable from tee to green. Um, he's got a, a golf swing that's simple. There's not a whole lot of excessive moving parts. Uh, the arms are always out to his side. He kind of hits the ball really squarely, and and his misses aren't big. But there was one or two um, driver tee shots where he was very late on these things, and they sort of were weakened to the right. He got away with some, but you felt he was struggling with a golf swing the whole day long. And it's not that it looked like it was way off, but it just looked like it was final group sort of stuff. And he got uncomfortable, and then he, he sort of rebounded some, but then you get a few crosswinds, and, and you, you feel a little awkward like coming down the stretch, and then it trips you up, uh, like down 16 for argument six, where he'd hit a few tee balls to the right. In fact, the last uh, tee ball up number 12, uh, 13, he blew one to the right, made four, good four. Then 14, the par four, the short par four, he blew it to the right. Then 16, uh, he hit one sort of recovery, really, like a reactive sort of a flick over with a club face and turned it left onto the edge of a bunker and made bogey. And then 18, he blocked one to the right again. So he was clearly fighting his golf swing. And then the bad news is, is that when you're in a place like that and you're in contention, or even when you're playing poorly, you have to be able to make, make saves and he sort of seemed like he was battling to read the greens as well. So it was one of those days. But um, you know what? You don't stumble your way into the final group. So I'm sure he'll iron stuff out pretty quickly and come back tomorrow because you don't fake it. You don't get in the, the, the final group faking. So it was just a bit off. I think it was the pressure of the final group. And, and perhaps he bounces back with a good day tomorrow. Yep, he'll, he'll definitely need one. He finds himself uh, five strokes back now at 11 under, lost more than you know, nearly four and a half strokes to the field with today's round, really just all around a poor performance. And that, that whole final group that you had, I don't know if it was you, Mark. I don't know what was going on, if you guys gave these guys some bad mojo or whatever it may have been, but they all got off to a pretty slow start. Uh, Ryan Palmer saw him you know, take the lead at one point when Scotty Scheffler made – a couple early bogeys. He had a nice par save there uh, from long distance on the par four third, adds a couple birdies, trades a, a bogey for Bert, birdie on the inward half and then, or on the outward half, and then finishes very, very strong, like you said, with that tricky wind coming down the stretch, four straight threes and then a birdie four. Easily could have been another three, was you know right on the edge there on 18 to take the solo lead. But Ryan Palmer, the native Texan, will look for his fifth career victory on the PGA Tour tomorrow in the final round with a couple young guns. What do we think of Ryan Palmer headed into tomorrow? Well, my last call on him, full swing call, was I said that it seemed like it was a round of sort of three segments where he started off okay and then it got a bit scrappy through the middle and then he finished with a flourish. And i got to tell you, the finish that he turned on was super impressive because right before then, um, his tee shot uh, down 10 was kind of a flipped hook. Some he got away with it and made uh, actually made a bogey, forgive me, but he, he wasn't in the fairway bunker. And then there were one or two tee shots that weren't uh, so sharp um, going up the hill. And then coming down the hill, he fashions the three wood onto the front of the green. That I mean, it's like driving the thing into 
your, your bathroom, it's so narrow there in the front. And he hits in the green makes three. And from then on, it's like someone just, you know, they, 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 they flipped the switch on him. And coming in, he absolutely flushed it coming down the stretch. He had two shots into 16 that were glorious. I mean, these things were falling out of heaven. And then on 18, he hits a good drive, sort of gusty breezes, and he's got five wood. And last year at this event, well, I'll take a step back. I had Justin Thomas in the final round, and he had a five-wood shot into the 12th. It was still a par five that I saw this, and I was like, holy heck. And it was the shot that made me pick him in one and done the following week. And I said to folks, I'm like, I don't want to be reactive and overdo this, but I'm like, I saw him make a swing and hit a shot that is like, this kid's ready. Lo and behold, he wins the following week, and I have him in one and done. And Ryan Palmer hits his five-wood into 18 that I was like, yes and i walk up he comes walking past me and he saunters past me and there's a wait for scotty and he looks over at me and i'm like nice shot man he goes yeah that was kind of good and he goes i just wanted to try and sling it in there and i'm like sling it in there that thing flew like a homesick angel and uh and he was like yeah it was good and then he goes and he two putts the last nearly makes it and you could just see that he hit the shot in difficult circumstances into the wind water short of the green and he pulled it off and you could see he went to like a different place confidence-wise and mentally. And, and so I, I feel like I sort of like his chances tomorrow, even though he does have Scotty Scheffler in behind him pretty close. What I took from that was if he is to win tomorrow, uh, you know, I'm not you know, well-versed in contract law, but verbal agreement on air in front of people, you have to take him one and done next week at Oak Hill. I believe that's, <laughs> uh, that's what you just said pretty much. I've already made my uh, selection for next week. <laughs> All right. For all we know, for all we know, you just mentioned him. It could be this man, Scotty Scheffler, after rounds of 64, 64, an even par 71 for the tournament favorite. Got off to a really rocky start there with a couple bogeys in his first four holes, has three birdies, finds himself back into a share of the lead. And then you kind of see some of the putting woes. Uh, creep in a little bit. He had a great chance on that par four 12th from roughly six feet that he missed. Uh, missed a couple more coming in. Made a nice one on 17 to save par, but the the second shot, leaving it at his feet on 18 in the fairway bunker where he had a chance if he made birdie to finish at 16 under in a share of the lead. Instead, he finds himself two strokes back. Still the tournament favorite at our friends at Caesar Sportsbook at around three to one. But Scheffler, if he wants to win his seventh tournament in his last 31 starts, will have to do it from two strokes off the pace. Um, you, as far as I'm concerned, anyone can throw statistics out of the window on this one, and I'll tell you why. Uh, to be a tournament winner or a good golfer on the tour, you have to have two things, long drives and a short memory. And Scotty has both. And the guy's got a wonderful ability to just forget and just move on. And also not own bad stuff because as a good golfer at this level, it's so easy to take ownership of good and bad. And, and one of the great lessons I learned as a young player and then a, and I passed it on as an instructor to, to elite players is that, you know, if you're going to own your good shots, you need to uh, – if you're going to own your bad shots, forgive me, then you must own your good shots too. Now, what most golfers do is – they own their bad shots, and then when they hit good shots, they're like, "Nah, whatever." Uh, I was expected. I was sort of expecting to do that. Where Scotty doesn't own his bad shots. There was only one today where I could see he could sort of let out some emotion, maybe two, but otherwise it's like right back and hit the next one, and right back and hit the next one. And for Scotty, that hiccup down the final nine holes today, 
I don't even think he's phased about it right now. I think he's back home with Meredith. He's probably had a shower. He's he wouldn't even have practiced afterwards. I guarantee you, he was back home, probably having a little dinner, get some rest, and then just go and play tomorrow because golf for these sorts of guys, it's like a marathon, and they know it's seventy-two holes, sometimes more. And so he's like, man, there's still another eighteen left. I ran a bad t- a bad lap in this last nine holes. I'm going to be okay. I still have the leaders in touch. I still know my game is sound. He's hitting it super. You know, he did pull one or two shots coming in, but I think that was sort of the nature of the day where, you know, there was nothing really going on. There was no mojo with that final group. So I think this is water under the bridge. I think he's okay tomorrow. Uh, I'm sure he puts up something that, that, look, truth is you're going to have to stay in front of Scotty Scheffler if you want to win. And and I'm still uh, I'm still high on him. I know you said throw statistics out the window, but let me throw one at you. Over the last year, from a strokes game perspective, that was his fourth worst round. Last round of the Open, last round of the Tour Championship, and then the third round at the CJ Cup. So even par 71, if that's you know as bad as it's going to get for Scotty Scheffler out there, you would think, given his past year, uh, you got to like his chances tomorrow. Well, I'm going to call you out right now, like I do with your, my, my buddy Kyle. I'm like, cool, so you tossed me a strokes gain number. So what does that mean? Is that a good thing that it was his fourth worst or a bad thing? And I, does I think it's a, tomorrow? I think it's a great thing considering he lost, you know, roughly two and a half strokes to the field average today, and he's only two strokes off the pace. I'd be terrified of him tomorrow. I would look into if I was you because, you know, I, I looked at some numbers before the round today and I, I shared them with Ian Baker Finch, our analyst, and I said to him, I'm like, Scotty is leading the PGA Tour in par four scoring. 3.91. I'm like, he's fourth on par four, uh, par five scoring. It was like 4.49 or something. Um, par three scoring is like fifth on tour. Okay. So like par, to me, par four and par five scoring are crucial around this place. And so I'm like, if he just plays to average, he's got 67 kind of cobbled together anyway. Uh, and then um, Frank Nobolo looks over at me and he goes, hey, here's a number for you. He goes, in terms of bounce back, you know, making a birdie after a bogey, he was in the top few as well. And I'm like, there you are now. So I'm going to go Scotty Scheffler. And that speaks to how you forget stuff because you make a mistake and you're right back in the saddle kind of deal. So if, if you want to share a statistic with your readers or your fans on Twitter or whatever, I'd look at bounce back and say, this guy can prove it on a golf course one hole later. You give him some time to rest and get over things and come back tomorrow on a fresh day. He's fine. He's going to be absolutely fine. Well, Mark, I'm flattered that you think I have fans. I, I really appreciate it. But I'm one fan. final <laughs> one final note before we get to the betting segment. Scotty Scheffler will be going for his seventh victory in his last 31 starts. Off the top of my head, that equates to a win percentage of 22.58%. Tiger yeah. Woods from 1996 to 2019, winning percentage of 22.84%. So Scott has got, you know, a little work to do to catch the cat. Uh, but Josh, Josh, let's pull up these odds from our friends at Caesar Sportsbook. You can't just crop dust us with something like that. That's terrible. <laughs> Don't beg off to Tiger Woods. Scotty is in the process of putting together his career. Stop looking for context. There's no context. It's golf for Pete's sake. I mean, the, we didn't know what the weather was going to do. Tomorrow it might be different. And by the way, Point. did you get next? Uh, yes, I did. I did. But point, 0.3%. The numbers do not lie. 0.3%. Got to look at, look at the numbers. All right. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'll give I'll give you a trivia question about about Scotty Scheffler or uh, yeah Scotty Scheffler after this segment. But let's look at the odds by these sports books. Scotty Scheffler the favorite despite being two strokes behind at plus two eighty. Ryan Palmer four to one. Austin Eckroat seven to one. Marty Doa deer female deal deer also at seven to one. And then you look at the chasing pack. Jason Day at seven to one. Sibu Kim eleven. And let's stop at Sir T Rail Hatton at twelve. Mark. Who do you like to win the AT&T Byron Nelson and Don the Cowboy hat? I uh, said this last night. I'm like, if I'm a better, I'm, I'm hoping Scotty has a bad day today so his number goes up. Because I think, yes, uh, last night it was 250. And so now it's gone to 280. <laughs> I'll double down on that. I, I feel like Scotty gets it done. Um, uh, Austin, he's still new. Ryan Palmer. I like him. I really like what he's doing. But Scotty is, is, is an immovable force. Uh, Jason Day, I like him too. And the rest of the guys, it, it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of sledding, that thing. Because like if Scheffler, for argument's sake, what is he, 14 right now, right? Yeah, 14, two back. Yeah, so he, he moves that thing to 18 or 19, which is likely. And um, that's going to take folks to kind of get busy a little bit. So um, I like Scheffler right now. I agree. I think it's... Uh... It's going to be Scheffler who enters the winner's circle by day's end. But I'll ask you this question. Scotty Scheffler wins tomorrow. Is it him or John Rahm who is the favorite heading into next week? Can you can I go co-favorites? Uh, it's a cop-out answer. You know, I'll, I'll lose like a, you know, a shred of respect for you, but technically <laughs> you could. <laughs> I, th I think it always, I mean, you should know, especially in this era in which we live, there's, there's like a recency bias, right? A and a tyranny of the urgent. A and I think the recency bias will make Scotty, you know, the favorite because he's coming off a win. But look, they've both had fantastic seasons. John Rahm is the world's number one player and he's got the master's victory. So he should be the favorite, but maybe there's a little recency that kind of moves Scotty slightly above him, but I don't know. And that's why I just talk about stuff and opine. I, I don't, I don't make lines. Exactly. Yeah. The key is to kind of, you know, cover all bases so you can clip it and just have the clip saying you were correct in the end. <laughs> um, but Mark, here is, here's the trivia question I have for you. Since 1960, there have been five players to win the week before on the PGA tour the week before they win a major. So like if Scotty Scheffler was to win this yeah. week and then win the PGA championship, he'd become number six. Can you name the five? I know Phil Mickelson won the bell South before the masters. Correct. Um, Rory won the Firestone before the PGA. Was it the correct? Open? Correct. Okay. PGA. PGA. Uh, I'm sure Tiger's done it somewhere, so I'll go Tiger Woods. Correct. You got You've probably two, done it. two, two old, older timers. Oh, golly. Well, let me go with Jack and Tom Watson. Mm, no, 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 no. no. Um, one was before an Open. One was before the Masters. This uh, gentleman competed in his final Masters this year. Larry Myers, Sandy Lyle. So, oh, I forgot about why I'm so close to Larry. I was thinking because it was Larry's. Yeah, Sandy Lyle. Yeah. Sandy Lyle, and the last one, Lee Trevino. 
I was thinking about that, but you know why I picked Watson? Because he's got more major championships, so I figured I had better odds. <laughs> yeah, can't blame you there. You know, I just got that nugget from the CBS Sports Research team this morning. So shout out to them. And Mark, you got anything else out on the grounds? I don't want to leave you. You know, you got that pool bar to go to. No, no, no. I, I want you to tell me. Look, I want you to look at that swing I texted you. I want our producer Josh to put that up. A snapshot at impact. Oh, brother. Oh, brother. Not one of our crew could identify who that guy was. I, huh? That's that is clearly Austin Ackerout. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> clearly. Like okay. I could I could see that swing in my sleep. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I think that'll do it for your third round recap of the ATT Byron Nelson for Patrick or for Mark Immelman. You can find him at Mark underscore Immelman there on Twitter. And you can find them on your TV tomorrow, giving us all the good nuggets out there on the grounds of TPC Craig Ranch. I'm Patrick McDonald. You can find me at Amateur Status. Thank you to producer Josh, Josh on the ones and twos. Have a good night. to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.